event-based. It was just like, hey, when's the next thing going? And hear me, I go on events with our young people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, it was just an event-based faith that had been challenged and literally rocked his world. Well, this week in Vacation Bible School, we always have a theme verse. In fact, Miss Myatt, would you come up here? You're going to quote this, all right, this verse. It's from John chapter, what? John chapter? John twenty thirty one. For it is written that, for these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you may have life in his name. Awesome. Very good. In fact, I want you to say it with me, all right? Say this with me. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Here's the deal. This verse, this letter, the book of John, letter of John, it is written not only that people could like know salvation, but it's kind of like a couple of the last songs we sang that it could be an anchor for your soul. So for those of you that believe, it can be something that you go back to over and over again to when you doubt, when you have disbelief. Because hear me, I don't know if you realize this or not, there are more unbelievers who believe in other ways to get to God than there are believers in Jesus. We are the lowest on the totem pole. And so you might be looking and you might be hearing you going like, man, there's so many people that believe all these other things. And there's so few people that believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. And He is really the only name that's been given under heaven whereby you must be saved. He is the only answer that God has given. And yet there are so few people that believe that. And so John writes this letter. And this theme verse we'll look at in a moment. He says, listen, I wrote these things in this letter. They are sufficient for you to believe. And I'll just tell you a couple other reasons. Because elsewhere in the Bible it says this, For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. In a couple of weeks I'm going to introduce you to like an app, and I use it every morning to pray for some 7,000 people groups in the world. And a people group is people that have never trusted Christ. Many have never even heard the gospel of Jesus. And yet they follow other things. This morning, I'm praying for a group of people that is over a million people that believe something totally different than what the Bible says. And so day after day after day, as you look at these people groups that range from hundreds of thousands of people to millions of people in the world that believe something else. Why? Because there's been many that have come and said, I'm the Christ, and they're following something totally different. Elsewhere in the Bible, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. And also in this particular letter, 1 John, he wrote it mainly because there were Christians who were doubting. They were wondering, am I following the right one? And so here's the key verse of 1 John. In fact, I would say this. If you have doubts, you believe you're a follower of Christ, but you have these doubts and you're wondering, why do I doubt this? There's so many other people. I have friends that believe other things. 
why should I believe this? I would encourage you to take this letter, John, and 1 John and read it because I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, not that you might hope so, but that you may know that you have eternal life. This is not a thing like you're just hoping that when you get to the grave that like, hey, I'm hoping that I'm going to get there. Here's the deal. You and I can know that we have eternal life life absolutely so the thing is these have been written for that very thing so if you will take your bible and turn to john chapter 20 we're going to look at this kind of theme verse for just a moment and i want to kind of give you the kind of the setup of what's going on in this scene because we're going to look at starting in verse 26 so john 20 starting in verse 26 here's the scene jesus has risen from the dead His disciples are in the upper room and the doors are locked and Jesus appears to them and yet there's one guy that's not there and his name is Thomas and many of us know him as, say it with me, Doubting Thomas. And so the disciples are telling Thomas, hey, Jesus was here and he goes, listen, I don't believe you unless I can put my fingers in his hand and touch the scar in his side, I'm not going to believe you. And so it picks up at verse 26 if you'll look. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. And listen to this. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book. In other words, the other Gospels have other things that have been written about Jesus. But John has specifically chosen to write about a few particular signs And so he says, these I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you by believing may have life in his name. And so what I want to do for just a little bit, you have it in your worship guide. I would encourage you that you would read these thoroughly about these signs because Jesus did so many signs. In fact, the very last verse of this letter says, that if all the things that Jesus did were written, the world couldn't contain the books. And yet, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, John writes about eight particular things that Jesus did, and they are sufficient enough to ground your faith. And so for just a moment, I want to walk through them, and so you can either turn to them, or I'm going to kind of go through them for a little bit, But first of all, in John chapter 2, it's the turning water into wine. If you don't know the story, I encourage you to read that sometime. It's a great story because Jesus is invited to a wedding. And while he's at the wedding, they run out of wine. And so Jesus' mom comes to him and says, hey, they've run out of wine. And Jesus goes, hey, am I the butler? He doesn't say that. But anyway, you know, like, what am I to do? And so what does he do? He commands the servants, bring some water. And... Many of you have heard this story over. Maybe some of you have never read the story, but you've heard about the story. 
So I'd like for you to do something. Just act like you've never heard it before. And it's just like, wow. So Jesus turns water into wine. And you say, wow. See, that's the deal. A lot of times we've lost our wow and awe about the things of God. It's just kind of, yeah, I've read that. Probably wasn't that big of a deal. If it was your wedding, it'd be a big deal, right? And here's the deal. Can you turn water into wine? Yeah, that's right. You got one confessor. So the thing is, it might not sound like a big deal. You have to kind of read it and see the scene of how embarrassing it would be. And so Jesus does a miracle. In fact, it says this is the very first sign that he does to show that he is the Son of God. And so he is the creator, right? Jesus is God. He's the creator of the world. He created everything you and I see. He created the heavens and way beyond you and I can ever see. And the thing is, turning water into wine is no big deal. But he chose to do it. And it's recorded for you and I that it would remind you and I that he is the very son of God. The second is the healing of the official son. In fact, if you'll turn to John chapter 4, I do want to read this one with you. It's a great story. It starts in verse 46, John chapter 4, verse 46, and it says this, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard about Jesus, he came to Galilee, and he went to him, and he asked him, Come down and heal my son, for he is at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, what hour, became, what hour was it that my son became better? And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second of the signs to show that Jesus is God. Here's God, he's the creator. He has what power over life and death and so he shows this sign and the third one is the healing at the pool in john chapter 5 there's a man who's there at the pool and they had a superstition back then that whenever the waters kind of churned up an angel would come down and if you could be the first one in the water you could be healed and it says that he had been there 38 years and yet he had not been healed and jesus tells him to get up and walk and heals the man if he's the creator, it's no big problem for him to turn water into wine. It's no big deal to raise someone from the dead or to heal someone. It is no big deal for him if a man has been for 38 years sick and what? To be able to heal him. Not only that, in John chapter 6 is the feeding of the multitude. And again, many of you have heard this story so many times. But there's 5,000 men. That's enough to feed, right? If you have sons, you know this, right? But not only was it 5,000 men, but it was their families and other people. 
and there's just a score of people out there. And the disciples say, hey, listen, Jesus, just tell them to go on somewhere else, get them something to eat. And he goes, well, you feed them. And, of course, they start trying to figure it out, how to do it. And finally, one of them says, hey, here's a little boy. He's got some fish and chips, and he's willing, you know, to be able to help you out, you know. And what's Jesus do? He takes it and he begins passing it out. And the disciples are the ones passing it out, and they keep passing it out. And they feed everybody. Now, hear me. They feed everybody, and there's food left over. I hope you get this point if you've never heard this story. There is a basket for every disciple. I tend to believe Jesus did this not for 5,000 men, their women, and children. He did it for 12 disciples who were still wondering and doubting and wondering, really, is this Jesus? And Jesus just so happens to feed a multitude of people so that at the end they could have leftovers so each one of them could have their own. Yet... They still had doubts. So you know what Jesus did? He sent them all away. He told his disciples to go get in the boat. He'd join them later. They get in a boat, which is the very next miracle sign that Jesus does, and he sends them out on the lake, and a storm comes up, and here seasoned fishermen are weary, they're afraid, they don't know what to do, and yet Jesus comes walking on the water to them. And he gets in the boat, and they are astonished. And here's what it says. They were so astonished, and here's the reason why. They did not get the sign of the feeding of the 5,000. Their hearts were slow and dull, and they really didn't get it that, hey, only God can feed a multitude from a couple of fish and some biscuits. Only God can have enough left over for each of them. And yet they were still kind of resistant in their mind. They were slow in heart. They didn't really believe he was the Son of God, even though he's walking on the water to them. And here he comes. And then you have, in John chapter 11, Jesus hears of his friends. I'm sorry, there's a sixth one, I skipped it. There's the healing of the man born blind in John 9. Now, here's what's so miraculous about that. Even the unbelievers say in verse 32 of chapter 9, since the beginning of time, there has not been heard. In fact, there's no recorded record that anyone has been healed that has been born blind. And yet you're saying that you healed this guy who was born blind. And yeah, everybody's going, yeah. We know. The parents even testified, this is our son, he was born blind. And Jesus heals him from blindness. And then he hears about his good friend, Lazarus, has died. And Jesus, for his purposes, waits. And then he comes. And Lazarus has been in the grave for a number of days. And Jesus goes and he calls him out. I know you've heard this before. But he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And you know why he called Lazarus, right? Because if Jesus would have said, come forth, every dead person would have came that day. And he brings him back alive. And then the Jews are out to not only kill Jesus, but to kill who? Lazarus. 
Because now the proof that Jesus is who he says he is is becoming more and more obvious. This is God. It's only God who can heal blinded eyes and raise people from the dead. And it's only God who can. And the last sign is what? His own resurrection. In John chapter 20, Jesus is crucified on a cross. He is buried. And three days he comes to life again. Hear me, only eight. I want to ask you, if you were maybe those people that day, how many would it take for you to believe? How many signs, how many things would it take for you to believe? Well, here's the deal. You and I weren't there, but you and I have his record. We have his word. And Jesus said, blessed are they who believe, who have what? Not seen but believe the record that he has given. Not only are these signs sufficient for assurance of your salvation, they are enough for anyone who has not followed Christ, never turned to Christ. Maybe you've been following some other religion or sect. This is enough. God has put in his word enough for you and I to have a certainty that this is God, the only true Son of God, the only way of salvation that God has given. It's the only one. In fact, if you'll look at the verse again there in John chapter 20, a kind of the memory verse we've had this week, it says this right at the end of it, that by believing you may have life in his name. I hope that you'll see this and see it clearly. This believing is more than just believing facts about Jesus. It's about believing in Jesus. You've probably heard the its illustration. Uh, I, I don't know if it really happened. I hear it did. But there was a guy who was a tightrope walker. Is there any people in here that do that, tightrope walker? Like that's your hobby on the weekend? Okay, I don't blame you. And so the deal is, he was, uh, had this uh, cord stretched across Niagara Falls, and he would walk back and forth, and people on both sides were just like, that's amazing. I would have been in the crowd going, you're nuts. Anyway, so the deal is, he's walking back and forth, and people are just cheering. And then one of his assistants brings up a wheelbarrow, and he puts the wheelbarrow on the wire, and he starts walking across, and people are just amazed. And then he says... Who believes I can put someone in the wheelbarrow and run them across Niagara Falls? And people are going, yeah, we believe. And then he says, who's going to get in? Who's going to get in? See, without anyone in the wheelbarrow, that's believing about Jesus. It's, uh, yeah, we believe that stuff. Yeah, I think he did that. It, but yeah, that doesn't change your life. It didn't change John's life my friend in high school, he knew a lot about Jesus, but he never got into the wheelbarrow. Because you see, when you get into the wheelbarrow, you believe in the guy. It's not until you get in that it's really effective. Believing about Jesus is not enough. See, the devil believes in Jesus. In fact, every demon knows that Jesus is God's son. They know everything about him, but they don't believe in him. They're not following him. They have not repented. They have not 
lined up with how God has said. So here's God. He is all glorious, beyond amazement. I mean, you probably know more attributes than I do. But he's holy like we've sang today. He's absolutely has all wisdom. He is absolutely perfect. He doesn't get weary. His power doesn't diminish. He doesn't get tired at the end of the day. In fact, he never has slept and he never will. While you and I are sleeping, he's watching over us. So he is all glorious and incredibly magnificent. And yet, in the Garden of Eden, what happened? God is all about freedom, isn't he? Because he only had one rule. And that rule was what? Don't eat it. This one thing, don't eat it. I've given you everything else. Just don't eat this one. One deal. You know why God only gave one rule? Because God is all about freedom. Some people think, man, God's just hardcore. He's all about no, 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 no. And yet the one thing he asked Adam and Eve to do is don't eat of that fruit right there. And yet they did. And because of that, they sinned. And because our great-grandparents sinned, you and I are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this here aisle right here, this is a chasm between God and man that cannot be crossed. Absolutely cannot be crossed. There's no bridge. There's no good work. There's no raft to get across. There's no way you're going to put a tightrope. There's no good enough things you're going to do that's going to get you across. There's a chasm between you and I. And here's mankind. Outside of Christ, nobody is looking to God. Nobody is seeking God. In fact, every person outside of Christ is going away from God. They are not looking for God. They're not doing anything. They're walking away from Him. And so in God's kindness, hear that? In God's kindness and His grace, what's He do? He sends His only Son to live a perfect life that you and I could not live. He dies a perfect death that you deserve and I deserve. But yet, here's the deal. You and I cannot pay for our sin. In fact, many people believe that if they go to hell, they will be paying for their sins. Hear me. Anyone who dies without Christ and goes to hell does not pay one inch of any of their sin. Dying and going to hell, you don't pay for your sin. You cannot pay for your sin. You can't do anything about your sin. And yet Jesus came to die in your place and rise up from the dead, proving that God accepted his payment. And here you got this cross that fills this chasm, and it is the bridge that you and I must cross. There's no other name, there's no other bridge, there's no anything that has ever been done by any person except Jesus is the way. And here's the deal, though. We're going away from God. And it is only when the Spirit of God calls you can you respond. And He calls. Here's the deal. He calls when you hear the gospel. In fact, many of us in this room, we're like, man, I couldn't share my faith. I couldn't share the gospel. What if I fail? Well, here's the deal. You share the gospel, what I just shared, 
It is God who takes the gospel and he calls. And here's the deal. What does it mean that he calls? Like, well, it's like in your heart you sense this, that, yeah, there is only one way. And I am going away from that only way. And I do believe that Jesus is the only way. And all of a sudden you have this conviction inside you that's like, I have sinned. I have failed. I have sinned against God. And the only proper thing to do, the only wise thing to do is what? Is to respond. For you children, you just got through singing, and you know this answer, right? The wise thing to do when you're in the backyard and mom or dad calls you to come inside is to what? Is to respond. It's to respond. And the thing is, some of you this morning, maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel, you've heard anything like this, and yet you sense within you that there is a call of God on your life, and the wisest thing to do is to respond. Because if you do not respond, you have no hope. You cannot turn. You cannot turn to God on your own. You can't quit sinning on your own. You cannot break that habit on your own. You cannot turn towards God until He is calling you. And when you hear the gospel, you can guarantee that you can hear God calling you. And if He's calling you, you know what you do? You turn. You know what turning means? Turning means that you repent. Repenting is turning and going towards God. And in His kindness, it leads you and I to repent and to trust not about Jesus, but what? Trust in Jesus and cross over and follow Him the rest of your life is what it means to cross over. And the thing is, God has written these things. Hear me. If you're a believer, He's written these things. There's, it's sufficient for you. People that go away to college, young people, you're going to go away to college, you're going to hear things that maybe you've never heard before. You're going to have people that cause you to doubt. And hear me, there are people out there who want to destroy your faith. And people that work in the work field, there are people out there who want to destroy your faith. And the thing is, he has written things in his word. They are sufficient enough for you to believe that he is the son of God. I just end with this one deal. I have several things on here. But here's one thing I'd like for you to look at under next steps. What are you expecting? What is your expectation, believer, as a follower of Christ in this fallen world? There's a real famous book called Your Best Life Now. Hear me. Only people without Christ can have their best life now. Because it's all they have. The other side of this life without Christ is the eternal hell. So their best life, 
you can have it right now. But as a believer, what is your expectation of living in this world? Because I know many believers who have an expectation that there's going to be a little bit of heaven on this earth. And the truth is, this is not heaven. Bad things happen to Christians in this life. It is estimated by Voice of the Martyrs, more people have been martyred, killed for the cause of Christ in our century than any of the centuries before us. It is estimated that six believers lose their life every six minutes. A believer loses his life every six minutes for the cause of Christ in the world. While you and I sit in this beautiful barn that's air-conditioned, we have brothers and sisters around the world who literally are dying for their faith. You ought to read Fox's Book of Martyr or a book by DC Talk called Jesus Freaks or go on the website of Voice of the Martyr and read of brothers and sisters who give their lives daily for the cause of Christ. And for us to think, because we do live in America, that this is going to be our best life yet. The truth is, believer, don't let what happens in this life and your expectation of, man, I'm thinking this is going to be the great life now. The truth is, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard to follow Christ. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And today... If you hear his voice, the wisest thing to do is to respond. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Close your eyes. In fact, you don't have to talk to anyone. You can just talk to God right where you're at. And you can hear his voice. And you can respond if he's calling you. It doesn't mean you have to walk up here. It means that you, in your heart of hearts, you turn to Him. And you stop just believing about Jesus. But you believe in what Jesus has done on your account. And you turn to Him. And you thank Him because you can turn to Him because it's only by His calling you can you respond. It's the wisest thing to do is to respond to him. And as a believer, if you are doubting and you're having some disbelief, hear me. Jesus said, stop disbelieving. The thing is, disbelieving is not passive. Disbelieving is active. If you are disbelieving, it's because you are actively choosing to disbelieve. When all the facts that God has given to you and I in his word and through his son. And he says, stop it. Stop disbelieving and start believing not about Jesus, but what? Believing in him. So, Father, I pray that you do your work. You do it always right. You do it always best. I pray that you would call people to yourself today. And I pray that you would strengthen believers. 
that, Lord, in this world will have severe trials, severe issues. But, Lord, I pray that our belief in you would outshine the others and that you'd help us to be able to push through whatever we might be going through and trusting in you and shining our light like you called us to and faithfully following you. May our response be wholehearted back to you. Stand with us.
As I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be to me a special treasure above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're dismissed.